Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Ryan, Big Jim and Goodyear with me as usual. We'll be dissecting England's third biggest loss ever, as well as looking at Ireland's chaotic win over Scotland. Whether there's any chance of England stopping the Grand Slam in Dublin on St. Patrick's weekend. And when is Jim getting his new tattoo? Plus we'll be chatting to Italy's Paolo Garbisi about their evolution and their chances in Edinburgh this weekend. So settle back, enjoy and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. How is it, Jim? Where's it going? Where are you putting it? Oh, James, I'm, I might just sit quietly for a bit to entertain the drama of Jim Hamilton's life. I had an amazing week last week, two nights in Belfast. Jim, where the fucking hell were you? As you know, I was gutted. I didn't even answer my phone. After we got through the logistics of the fact that I definitely weren't going to be in Belfast, I couldn't face the music. It was I was looking for someone to blame. I didn't know who to blame. In the end, Beck got blamed, and she didn't even know I was going to Belfast. <laughs> she just knew I was away. So, yeah, for the listeners who were in Belfast and Andrew Good's partner in crime didn't turn up, I'm sorry. There's not a lot I can have done about it, but I am sorry. And I'm gutted I missed it. But aside from that, I heard the show went very well, and it has been a hell of a week. A great, A great week, as we know. It's a busy period. Every day is taken up with something, something interesting, something fun, something important. And as we go through the next few days, the same's going to happen. So apologies again to the Belfast crew. I wasn't there, but I was there. Hopefully, Goody, I heard you drank enough for me twice over and yourself twice over. So yeah, I've still got the Guinness shits. I'm not going to lie. Long story short, wake up to a bit of snow on Wednesday morning. Jim and I are both flying out of Heathrow. My flight was at one, I think. Jim's was at three, something like that. Jim, that right? That was right, yeah. So I've walked in at half 11. As I'm going through security, like, sorry, sir, your flight's cancelled. I was like, you what? There's no snow. The snow had gone. There was like an inch of snow when I woke up in the morning. Snow had gone. They were like, oh, no, you can, we can put you on standby for the next flight, which was Jim's flight at three. But it's full at the minute. I'm like, well, there's no one not going to turn up, is there? There's hardly any snow. If it's full, I'm not taking the risk. So I get a car around to... Gatwick and fly EasyJet. EasyJet, way better than BA, let me tell you. Obviously, his flight was then cancelled, and by the time that he realised it was cancelled, which they told him about 10 minutes before it was about to take off, he couldn't get round to Gatwick, and I soldiered on to the mighty Belfast for a live show on my own. And what I will say, Jim, it was considerably better than last year. Not because you weren't there. I missed you. I was generally devastated <laughs> that you couldn't make it. As you know, we were on message and calling each other, and he was raging. I was upset my partner in crime wasn't with me. But it was significantly better than last year because Darren Cave wasn't there. (laughs) (laughs) And Stephen Ferris and Bernard Jackman stepped up to the plate. They just had to turn up. They didn't need to do anything more. Just turn up and smile and then you've done a better job. (laughs) I walked in and I had a couple of mates there from work. I walked in, like a load of Irish people come up to me. I'm like, please tell me Darren Cave's not on tonight. I was like, no, I promise you he's not. Um, So yeah, it was good fun. Good night. Ended up finishing at about three o'clock in the morning. Again? Yeah, you're heavy. Well, I am heavy, right? It was a great night. It really was. I desperately missed Jim. I'm not going to lie. I'd have drank till four if you'd have been there, Jim. Do you think coming out of this, Andrew, you're going to get checked out for gout? I know at the end of every Six Nations, the only thing you can wear is them Velcro slippers, and that's all you can put on your feet. <laughs> As part of that process, do you have to get, I don't know how you get tested for gout. It's obviously very visible that you can see that you've got it where your feet swell up. But I do know, because you must have said to me that you after the Six Nations is finished, you have to wear them Velcro slippers for about a month. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I did get a text message off my mum. And she said, I've listened to some of your podcasts 
recently and it seems like you're not looking after yourself. I listened to the one when Jim talked about you two in Dublin. Please take care of yourself. So, Mum, I am. I'm eating salads. I'm, I'm fasting. I'm not drinking for about one day a week. But, yeah, mate, it's a big few weeks. You're looking at salads and you're farting, not fasting. They're different things. <laughs> <laughs> We're on the home straight. We have two more live shows to go. We're in Dublin on Wednesday. At, Can't wait. At Harcourt Hotel. Simon Zebo joining us. Then... We're finishing in London on Friday at Vinegar Yard with Bernard Jackman joining us again to preview the Grand Slam decider and have a few Guinnesses to celebrate St. Patrick's Day as well. Tickets are available on Eventbrite or on our website, therugbypod.com. Yeah, I mean, there's a big few weeks in the gym. There is a big few weeks. We've got two live shows this week. We've got Super Saturday, Drink All Day, while watching the three final Six Nations games. And then we've got a week, a bit of a down week, haven't we, Jim? And then we head to Hong Kong. Oh, my word. <laughs> I cannot So, wait. And I come back from Hong Kong, do a little bit of work, and I'm taking the family on holiday, hopefully for about three weeks. Just say sorry, tell the missus and the kids you love them, and try and lose about five stone. We've got a brilliant job, Andrew, if you call this work. A question for you then, Jim, because I have this debate in my house. I said to the missus, I've got to go to work. And she's like, how does going to work involve drinking 15 pints of Guinness? <laughs> That's what you got to do. you got to do what you got to do, right? Got to turn up. Yeah. And my missus is like, that's not work. You're a joke. I said, well, I define work as you get paid to do something. doesn't matter what it is, it's work, right? If you get paid to do something, it's work. And she's claiming it's not work. Just What does Beck think? Does she think it's work or not? No, nah, she's not feeling it at the minute. She's gone on her sister's hendo in a couple of weeks. And it was like, yesterday I said, do you, like, do you feel like you need a, a break? Or, you know, this is like a bit of a holiday. And she's like, yeah, I do. I was like, because the lads are off to Ibiza and they're going skiing as well. Like, I was just... She's like, what are you thinking about going away again? I said, yeah, but not work, like pleasure. And then I just saw her face. She just looked at me and that's when I knew that if I say anything more, I'm getting up at six in the morning with the kids, which I didn't want to do. So it's like a Greek <laughs> chef coming that's going to do something. I don't know what he's going to do, but it sounds like he's going to do more than cook food. He's bringing what he calls olive oil, but I'm thinking it's massage oil. But she deserves it. <laughs> so when he pulls out the kebab sticks and said, oh, this is the spit for the spit roast. Hello, we have the big sausage. It's like, you don't eat sausages in Greece, do you? I thought you eat feta cheese and salad. And why have you got massage oil when it's meant to be olive oil? Goody, how was your weekend after that result? Did that hurt, Goody? I'm not hurt that Ireland and the 20s put 80 points on Scotland. Is that the game we're talking about or not? I missed that. No, you missed that one. Um, I was devastated. France haven't won at Twickenham since 2005. Jim Hamilton convinced me that England were going to win. And we talked about it last week. You know, the French haven't been performing that well in the Six Nations. Whichever idiot said that. Was that you, Jim? I'm embarrassed that I even said that they might win. I put in my Fanzo predictor that England would win by eight. Yes, you did, James. Like that, that's embarrassing. As in, forget the result. The fact that I put England to win by eight, and then that is what unfold. Maybe that's why they did it. Maybe that's why Flamon was like, you know what? I've seen Jim's Fanzo predictor. Penno on the wing was like, fuck this Jim Hamilton, we are going to town. So <laughs> What did DuPont say? He don't say anything, does he? He just has the straight face. He don't say he don't say he didn't need to say anything. We you just know need to say a word. Yeah, it hurt. As an England fan, and obviously I have a bit of banter going back and forward with the French over time about French referees and blah 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 blah. Honestly, in my heart of hearts, I thought France would win. We're giving it all the bravado around, you know, England you know, lost to France at Twickenham the Six Nations since 05. You know, Marcus Smith back at ten. And we're going to see some you know, fast-paced rugby. Borthwick, I listened to Borthwick's press conference when he announced the team. He's like, this is a team I've picked 
to play this game and how we're going to play. It was so against how he sets a team up in terms of the expectation. We're going to play fast and really exciting rugby. And I'm sat there and I'm like, here we go. But then what I didn't realise is when you pack, gets absolutely monsters. The game now is about collisions and gain line and momentum. And however you box that up, Gain line, collisions, either running over people, running into space and winning the gain line, winning the collisions. England got absolutely monstered up front. You know, our defence was all over the shop at times because they were playing off such quick ball because they were winning the collisions over the gain line. And then it's just so hard to get something back and, and slow a team's attack down. And did it hurt? 100%. Taking 50 points by the French at Twickenham, England's biggest ever defeat at Twickenham. You know, and I put that tweet out on Saturday night, Steve Borthwick. The record that he took over at the weekend, our biggest defeat prior to Saturday was England, South Africa, 2008, and Steve Borthwick was captain. So just blame Borthwick. That's all I'm saying. Come on. That's a bit harsh. <laughs> the mountain pressure is going to be on him now, isn't it? Like, not externally too much because of it's a new team that he's inherited. You can go back to Eddie Jones and say, look, you know, this is a historic thing, similar, similar to what Wayne Pivak had with Wales. But... People are saying that around what he was like as a player, what he was like as a coach. Just going back to his interview at the beginning of the game, Goody, I wasn't convinced by what he was saying. He didn't feel seem comfortable in delivering what he thought he needed to deliver with having Marcus Smith at 10. And then we can talk about the interview after. He was all over the place. I mean, he was obviously in shock. He didn't know what to say. But the interview after was very poor in delivery. But what do you say? It was almost like he was... Well, I'll tell you what he does. He listens to you, Jim. Deny, deny, reaccuse. So he's basically said, we, we're so far behind because of what's happened before. Uh, and he, he's sort of planting those seeds around. And he said it a few weeks ago, didn't he? We were no good at anything. You know, we're so far behind. And we are. And a lot of that, and I tweeted it. I said, Eddie Jones, it shows how far we've slipped since 2019 under Eddie Jones and now where Borthwick's at with the squad. And you can't get away from the fact, look at our results over, and we've said it as a joke. And Eddie Jones always pulled that thing out about going, yeah, it's about the World Cup, right? And it may always be about the World Cup, but the last two Six Nations have been awful for England. So looking back on it now, does it surprise us? The manner and the size of the defeat, yes, it does surprise us. Did I think France were going to beat England at Twickenham? Probably. Could I bring myself to put that on my match pint predictor? No, <laughs> I backed England. But it's a dark place. Of course it is for English rugby. It's biggest ever defeat at home, taking 50 uh, to Twickenham. And it's tough for Borthwick. You've got to control the narrative. If you listen to any of his press conferences, he never answers any questions that people ask him. No. He goes in there with his four, three or four points that he wants to get across and he will answer any question that's given to him with these three or four points, one by one by one. And it was the same with the Marcus Smith, Owen Farrell, wasn't it, Goody? When he got asked about Marcus Smith and he was like, oh, we've got two world-class fly halves. Three world-class tens because we've got George Ford as we've well. We've got George Ford to come back. We've got three. We're blessed in that position. It's like, I just think you have a responsibility to engage people. And I know that Steve's working hard at it. That's the rumours that I'm hearing. You've got access to the tapes of his interviews at Leicester and part of his development is doing that. You need to engage with people. You need to give people authenticity around what you do. Maybe that is what, in fact, I know that that's him because the Saracens lads say that that's what he was like. But I just think you need to give more. And I know it's easy when you're winning. You look at Andy Farrell's interview after the game and it's easy when you're winning to give more of yourself. He's a young coach, isn't he? He's 43. But I just think with England, where they are now, 
And like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't in terms of what you say. But where they are now, fans walking out of the stadium early, being booed. The players look completely shot in confidence. They look half the size of the French team. I mean, and maybe that's because of the result. You just don't know. It just They just look like they're in their shells. I think a bit of that as well. And this may sound harsh saying it. You look back across history and across your career and some of the best coaches you ever played for were the best motivators. Not the best details in terms of coaching, some of the best motivators and how you get a team ready to go at the weekend. Like Sean Edwards, you'd run through brick walls for him, wouldn't you? And we, I'd do his impressions on here. He's obviously a very detailed coach, but he's the sort of coach that will get an extra 5-10% out of the player. Let's fucking smash him! But we said that about Kev. Yes, but Kev's not the leader. I, I appreciate Sean Edwards isn't the leader, but I'm looking at it. When Borthers is the head coach, and Eddie Jones, going back to him... He would motivate players in certain ways, wouldn't he? And how he spoke, and there's a lot of players that would have played for him. I think if you're a team that's coached by Steve Borthwick and he's trying to give you a, as Jim says, an arousing speech, pre-match, or a rousing speech, as it should be, I don't think Borthwick has got that in his locker to really get a team fired up. So that you're looking around and you've got Kevin Sinfield, Cockers, Nick Evans, and then you're looking at your leaders. So you're looking at Genji, you're looking at Faz. There's missing a bit of emotion around getting a team hyped. And there's a skill in that, isn't there, Jim? By a coach, by a player. Can't be the same message every week. But getting a team hyped. And we had very little hype, I think, going into the game. Losing collisions. We looked knackered in that first half. We were second to everything. You watch Flamont's try, his first try, and it came off a couple of pick and goes. All our forwards are still on the blind side, pretty much. And he runs over Henry Slade, doesn't he? So he's worked. He's got round bang, round the corner, and he's just overpowered. You you look back at the clip, all our fours have just stood there on the blind side, like, not rabbit in the headlights, but effectively just like, oh, what are we doing? When you defend your own try line, a lot of that's about emotional energy and having presence and work rate and graft to get to where you need to get to. And I think that's clearly something missing for Steve, and you can see it in his interviews, you can see it in how he presents himself in a, in a press conference. And it's a work on for him. It's not his strength. His strength is detail. So what you need to do then is marry that up with someone that can get the boys motivated to run through brick walls for you. Because at the weekend, France had that in spades. We didn't. We lost every collision. We lost the battle of the breakdown. For them, everything came off for them. And England really struggled. And then you start trying to chase the game and you make errors on top of it. And it's then a, a snowball effect of how Jim used to play for Scotland. You're taking 50 at home before you know it. When you look at English rugby... And you look at the state that it's in, like the premiership as well, like you've got teams going under, you've got the performance of the England side, hasn't been up to scratch for a couple of years. Do you think this is just a reflection of where you guys are at? We're in a dark place. You know, we're not as dark as Wales. I'll speak from an English perspective. The product on the field in the premiership has been electric at times this year. But you dig under the surface and financially, every club is in a complete mess. And... The knock-on effect of that is you question what's been going on at the RFU, how that's been run, and we've said it on here, Bill's asleep. You know, The future of the game is on a precipice at the minute around where we're going. And, and the result of the weekend, does it surprise me? Yeah, 100% surprised me to lose 53-10 to France. To lose 30 points to 15 wouldn't necessarily surprise me, wouldn't be such a big shock. But everything that's going on with, we saw Leicester, Last week had to have an influx of cash to keep away the administrators by two of the owners and the shareholders had to ratify it. Two clubs have gone by the wayside. We've seen Rob Baxter come out and saying we've got to cut our cloth accordingly and cut all our costs. You know, they've had to sell an asset off. 
it's from years of overspending and a pandemic and all this stuff and the knock-on effect of the whole differential between in Ireland what they've got now it's been ran by the RFU and all the provinces maybe bar Leinster but all the provinces would lose a boatload of money if it wasn't for the RFU running the place and all the money filtering down from there the way that it works in Ireland is outstanding they've got a treadmill of players coming through the youngsters an academy system that keeps feeding and feeding and feeding but in England clubs are looking at academies and going well we need to cut some costs because we've spent way too much over the last seven eight years and you know look at us as a business now so it's very difficult we're in a tough place there are some very good players in that England squad you know and you want to go through what happened the big players and, and you, you're talking about the bigger players so the higher cap internationals Yamaratoges non-existent in the game Carl Sinclair non-existent in the game we got monsters and we've got some good young players coming through it was just a massive shock to me. and it's a shock to me now talking about it I'm like Geez, and how do you recover from that? You, well, you're going over to play the best team in the world this weekend and, and there's different factors that might come into it around they've got injuries, you hope the pressure of a Grand Slam, you know, leads to a, a nervy performance, Manu's back and that's about it really. So, <laughs> it's a tough spot, isn't it, Jim? Yeah, on Andy Rowe's question there, I was chatting to Guzzi for the Big Jim Show, I was chatting to Guzzi about it, he made a really good point because he's coached in... Italy, he's obviously coached Saracens and Harlequins and is now in the top 14, a league which seems to be thriving commercially and from a viewership point of view, both on TV and in the stadium. And he said to me the big thing that he's noticed, and yes, some of the games are crap, like we we know good, we play in the top 14, you watch a lot of it and we know that that can be the case away from home. He said the biggest thing, relegation. Every single game matters. He said, it's all well and good seeing these 40, 50 point games when you're watching Harlequins versus Bristol and Bristol versus Northampton, these beautiful tries. But when there's no jeopardy and the serious jeopardy where your defence, your physicality, you've got to dig and dig and dig like we have done in teams before and you have done because you've been in relegation battles, not being horrible, it's the truth. But you know what it's like being in them situations where you have to really dig. And it was interesting, his take on that, because you're all for this kind of high tempo play. I don't know, were you all for relegation? I've always been an advocate of relegation. I've always said it. You didn't though, did you? I, I can't remember what I said, but I've changed my mind now because he's convinced me. But I, you can <laughs> you see want it back why. on the table. You can see why though, can't you? I, I know that's a snapshot because there's no relegation in Super Rugby with the, the New Zealand teams. There's no relegation in the URC. But that's been another massive shift in the Premiership where there's a big change in that. So not just the finances around it, but the jeopardy. And I know the jeopardy of trying to get in the, in the top eight or the top six for Europe or the top four for the playoffs. But the fact there is no relegation, I'm trying to find reasons to why I saw that England team perform like that. Because like you said, they got monstered, but it was like, it wasn't like that they didn't care but they were, they were so quiet and so shell-shocked that it was like, it was just unbelievable to, to watch. I just couldn't believe what I was watching. We're talk, you know, we were talking Genji up as the, one of the best loose heads in the world. Like, you, you couldn't see they it. They said it on comms. Ben Kay said it. He's probably the best loose head in the world. We'll tell the third choice tight head that for France. But he, we did win a penalty and he celebrated. And him and Ben Curry celebrated one like they won the World Cup. Because there was nothing, there was nothing for them to celebrate. But when you look at the two teams, like the back row for me was the one. I watched Olivon, Charles Olivon especially, and Gregory Audrey, who was more than Ori. He was fucking Ori. <laughs> I mean, the power and the speed. 
And that's where with Billy Vanapola, England have had that before, that power player with Manu, bang, 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 all different directions. We've seen snapshots of that with Ollie Lawrence, but there was absolutely nada, nothing. And people are talking about Marcus Smith getting the opportunity to play again, and he might get the opportunity to play again because he was on the back foot. I've never seen Marcus make that many mistakes. Yeah, people point the finger at Marcus Smith. Now I've been there. I built a career at Leicester on playing behind a pack that monstered other packs. So I looked way better as a player than I probably was. I've also played in teams where your pack's getting monstered and there's nothing you can do. 1-8 to eight was where the issues started. And then 9-15, to 15, we've probably added to those issues by certain things. And Marcus Smith made some mistakes. Yeah, you talk about the try that Olivon scored when Marcus Smith went back on the ball and all that stuff. But to even suggest that it's anything but a monster in, from 1-15, to 15, but mainly... What I spoke about earlier, the gain line, collisions up front. The way France were, whatever England team got picked, they were phenomenal. Probably the greatest ever performance of an away team at Twickenham I've ever seen. Every player on point, every offload going to hand, the way DuPont was just, he mugged off Itoji a couple of times, didn't he? You know, the 50-22 kick that he pulls out, the skill level of, you know, the chip and then the gather and then just everything was... It was one of those days for France. And you have those days, don't you, Jim, as a team sometimes, where everything works for you. And, you know, England, the knock-on effect of certain things happening, certain players getting injured. I know Jack Walker comes on and, you know, there was a beautiful try by Penno in the corner. You've got Marcus Smith defending at 13 because Jack Walker's at 12 because we've made substitutions and then Ollie Lawrence goes off injured and Faz is at 12 and Anthony Watson tries to jam in. You know, it was all a mess and everything went against England that way. A lot of it was our own undoing, but some of it was situational. But then you flip that and we'll get onto the Scotland Ireland game. You see how Ireland coped with adversity at the weekend. And it was a whole different team, isn't it? So listen, France, let's talk about how good they are. There's loads of issues with England around the performance, but France were absolutely ridiculously good. For anyone, Jim Hamilton, that said they were, well, they're not that great, are they anymore? The pressure of the World Cup, you just don't know what's happening in their camp. My God, they answered every question possible, didn't they? It's really easy to highlight DuPont, but my God, he's the best by some margin, isn't he? Jim Hamilton tweeted it. Yeah, I did put a tweet about it and it was in-game and it was after the, it was maybe the chip and chase from his own half and I was watching him play and to say someone's the best player in the world by some distance is a big statement. As a scrum half, you very rarely say that. How many times have you heard in the past the scrum half or a scrum half is hands down the best player? In the world, but think about what DuPont does. Okay, so yes, he's a scrum half. Okay, yes, he's a captain, he's a leader. Yes, he can make breaks. That lad is sitting people down when he's sniping. Okay, that's yeah. one thing. He's box kicking off his left, he's box kicking off his right, he's chipping, he's chasing, he is picking Mac Hansen, who, as we now know, is a shit bloke because I'm getting a tattoo of his name <laughs> on my arm. But he is one of the best wingers around at the minute and he's holding him up like he is ri riding a bull at a fun fair in the arse end of France somewhere. He can do anything and everything. It looks like the game's in slow motion. I saw something on the BBC. They were using the analogy of like a Ronaldo or a Messi. He's becoming a superstar of rugby. And for me, as in, yes, you could say Caelan Doris... We've spoken about him. I've talked about him. But you've got Ardi Savea. You've got like a Papalihihihi who plays very similar. I'm not saying he's as good as Doris or whatever. You've got second rows like Maratoji and Ebenezerbeth. A lot of players can do that. Maybe not as good as each other. But DuPont has the most complete game. Like he could probably play in the second row. Like you bang him up there, Bozzo. All he's got to do is take a line out because he can do everything else. 
He can carry, he can pass, he can kick off both feet. He's quick, he's strong. Like, I'm happy to stand by that comment that he's the best player in the world at the minute, by a distance. Watching the game at the weekend and watching his performance, and Jim said it then about the amount of time he's got on the ball and how it's like he's playing in slow motion, sees everything so easy. It was like when Dan Carter was in his pomp and I played against him at that point. Same with DuPont, not even sweating. Never has his hands on his knees. Probably covering more metres than anyone else on the field. Do Having more impacts on the game than anyone else on the field. And he's not even broken sweat. Looks cool as a cucumber, you know, even though it's a small one because he's only about four foot tall. But Dan Carter, and as a Kiwi, you'd know that, Andy Rowe, how mm. good he was and how much time he had on the ball. And I appreciate it from a nine and a tens point of view. You're touching the ball more than anyone else on the field. And you get frazzled at times. You get so many things coming to your mind. Defenders flying out everywhere. Defenders fly at DuPont. He steps and beats them, hands them off, jogs through, makes a break, looks around, makes it easy for everyone else. He's just a absolute talent that right now, as Jim said, best player in the world. Lads were trying to pin him on the floor. So if he went for a pass or if he went for a little snipe, he's that strong that no one can even put him on the floor. How often do you see him out of the game on the floor? You'd like, you'd, you literally don't. Like He must be so strong and so powerful. He's my mate. He's like me. <laughs> <laughs> Do England have any chance of rebounding this weekend and causing Ireland any problems, Scooty? Bring Manu back. Yeah, you've got to bring Manu back. I mean, it's a game of rugby. You've got to somehow park that emotion from last week. And we've seen it before in big games where teams have taken absolute hide in one week, flipped the result on its head the next. Not the two same teams playing against each other necessarily, but you get a massive spike in energy and emotion. The fact is, we're going to Ireland. Ireland are going for a Grand Slam, so you hope that plays on a little bit of their nervous energy. How many injuries have they got? Have they got a hooker now? Well, they don't need one because they just play Keane Healy in the scrum at hooker and then get Josh van der Fleer to lob the ball in and it doesn't affect them. But they've got a few injuries. <laughs> yeah, I can't see him come winning. I can't and I'm laughing. It's Paddy's day. Can Are the Irish going to get too pissed in the weeks? Cheltenham week? Johnny Sexton, he likes the... No, I can't... <laughs> I can see a better performance winning them, but this Ireland team, and Jim said it before, at times unplayable. The only one thing, like you've just said, is the injuries, and which is absolutely crazy, and I'll say it again, a six-day turnaround with a travel day. I know it's only Edinburgh to Dublin, but a six-day turnaround for a Grand Slam deciding match, a championship match, mental. And that can't continue to happen. I just don't think it's fair for any team to have to go and do that. And I know the game was on... A later afternoon, so we're talking a matter of hours, but I just in terms of preparations, crazy. But the one thing is the injuries. So they obviously lost both hookers, Dan Sheehan, Ronan Kelleher. They lost Ian Henderson to what looked like a broken wrist. Caelan Doris, he ain't going to come off unless he's properly injured. The horrible one and the big one was Gary Ringrose. Like that injury was like so bad. I just hope he's all right. I know he spent the night in Edinburgh Hospital, but he's a massive player from a playing point of view. Obviously, the welfare is more important, but from a player point of view, and we saw that against Italy, like he's big. So you're thinking, right, well, no, I'm not trying to convince anyone. I'm not trying to convince myself, but you need to bring Manu back. Are the whispers of a George Ford, but that means, well, where does Fazil, where does Marcus go? No, what's George Ford done to deserve playing for England in the here and now? Well, Steve said he's world-class, so that's... Yeah, but he's off the back of a Achilles injury. He's played two and a half games and he's not set the world alight. They got spanked by London Irish at the weekend. But they need something, don't they? Not that they need to keep chopping and changing, but... Well, this is the thing. So pre-match, doing your analysis, seven of that eight pack that got monstered by France have started every Six Nations game. Mm. So, you know, Dombrant, non-existent in the game, has been poor in the Six Nations. I looked at the squad today thinking, you want some ballast, bring Billy back. 
Billy ain't there. And I'm hearing the reasons around Billy not being involved in the Steve Borthwick squad because they had a fallout. Really? Yep. Yep. Had a fallout and Steve won't pick him for that reason. So it's personal? Yeah. It, well, from what I hear and understand, it's it's personal. You know, Steve won't pick Billy Vanapola because of what's happened previously between them. How crazy is it that we were talking about how much back row choice there was only a few weeks ago and now you're thinking, well, who's going to play? Well, here's one in the squad who has probably made more metres, break more tackles, metres after contact, everything that you need, Ben Earl. And he's not a massive bloke, but in terms of performance of what he's done in the Premiership this year, I don't know the stats, I haven't got them offhand, but I'd be amazed if he's not in the most metres made bracket up there somewhere, most tackle busts, most metres after contact as a player in the Premiership. And he can't get a look in under Steve. I know he played against Italy and you know, put a kick in because that's probably what they told him to do. But I can't see England win him. Who are you starting at 10? Well, I'm bringing Manu back. So in the centres, I'll probably go... I think you've got to, you've got to back Marcus Smith again, which probably means you've got a choice then to make between Owen at 12, which I don't agree with. That's what he'll do. Yeah, you've got to bring Manu back and just hope for the best. Hey, yeah, Manu. Well, Farrell and Smith will be coming up against each other at Tottenham Stadium on March 25th in the showdown between Saris and Quinns. They've already sold 45,000 tickets and you can get 10% off with the code POD on the Saracens website. Well, let's take a look at Scotland, Ireland. Jim, you were there at Edinburgh, weren't you? Yes, I was. I said in the warm seats, you press the button and the heat comes through. The nice big pads, they don't really. Yeah, brilliant atmosphere, brilliant energy in the lead up. Everyone was thinking Scotland had a chance. And then there was a few whispers coming out that Finn was struggling a little bit with his knee, hadn't trained all week. He came out with it heavily strapped. But I was still convinced Stuart Hogg making his 100th cap. Obviously, we've been brilliant. This Six Nations in terms of the way that we've played the performances, the second half especially. And then first half, bit stuttery, wasn't it? A bit kind of stop-start. It was physical. Ireland lose a loads of players. And you're thinking, right, well, they've lost... Ian Henderson, they've lost Caelan Doris, they've lost Dan Sheehan early on. You think, if not now, then when? And then we had an opportunity to take the sticks or go for the line-out, the last play of the game in the first half, and we didn't. I spoke to Gregor Townsend after the game, actually. We had a really long chat at one of these functions. And look, I'm a big fan of Gregor. I've always said that. And I just said, he said, oh, I had it. Look, I said, it looks like we didn't fire a shot in that second half. I said to him, how was it in the change room? He just said like it was really weird at half time because they went in with their heads down, having not taken the three or, you know, the line out or whatever and, and not done anything. But there was one point in it. But a couple of things happened in the lead up to that. Duan van der Merwe got injured in the try-saving tackle, which never was on Mac Hansen. See, I'm being horrible here. I'm saying that Luke Pearce was biased. He wasn't. It was a try. It was a fantastic finish by Mac Hansen in the corner. But Duan van der Merwe got injured and it seemed like he was feeling a bit sorry for himself and then struggled a little bit in the second half. And then Finn went off a bit later on. Hoggy went off, which looks like a, a broken foot or something to his ankle. And Ireland, how they managed to rally the troops, rally the horses, it just shows you the fact that you're thinking Josh van der Flair goes to hooker at the line out, throwing the ball in. Keen Healy, who's been out for ages with a bad neck, comes into the front row. You're thinking, here we go. We are on here. Just rewind to Josh van der Fleer's throwing in that you mentioned then, Jim. And you're a line out forward. You've been giving it out the front, giving it the big fingers. Get it in, get it. How good did he look throwing it in? Unreal. Like, that's all planned. That That's not by chance, is it? That is, I reckon they've gone to the degree of, if this happens, 
We go both hookers down. Let's practice it. Let's nail it. And he looked so comfy doing it, didn't he? You say that, but it was interesting because I was watching Keane Healy warm up on the sideline and he was there practicing his throwing. He's on his knees throwing the ball in. So I'm thinking, right, well, they're thinking Dan Sheehan's come off, Ronan Keller, the next person to step up as hooker, not just in the scrum, but with the line-out throws will be Keane Healy. But no, he comes on and then, like we just said, Josh van der Fleer comes on. It was interesting. Johnny Sexton said after the game, he was like, he's one of them lads, like, you know, that you all hate. He's just good at everything. Yeah. Like he started yeah. playing golf two years ago and he plays off single digits or whatever. I don't even know what that means. Yeah. Uh, but he plays off single digits now and he's one of them just absolute stars. But you're right. The line out, you're thinking, right, we're going to get stuck into them. Even though we lost Richie Gray early, he popped his rib. But still, you've got Jamie Ritchie in there. You've got Johnny Gray. You've got Sam Skinner. And I genuinely, how do I feel about it? I feel like it's an opportunity missed. And I feel like I'm disappointed because we didn't fire a shot in that second half. And that is credit to Ireland, the way that they play. They're so stuffy. They're so physical. But with all them changes, the fact that they were laughing at halftime, they were like, right, what's going down here? Maybe that pressure of thinking, well, if we lose this, you could see why we could lose it. But... That's why there's a gulf between one and two, and one especially this island team. They're unplayable. I've said that many times. Players are playing in different positions. Players coming on, third-string players. Bundyaki coming off, they're coming back on. Uh, yeah, I mean, Matt Hansen as well. I hate that bloke. I hate him. He texts me. I love he him. He texts me in about, with about 20 minutes, straight after the game, 20 minutes, bang, he's texts me. Having come off the pitch and got MOM, he's texted me. How good was he? I'm happy. The fact that I'm getting his ta- tattoo of his name he was, him and James Lowe, my goodness me. We talk about James Lowe, you talk about Hugo Keenan. How good was Mac Anson, return of the Mac? Amazing. The play, their players are just sensational. My only disappointment with the game at the weekend was that when you had that bet with Mac Hansen, if Ireland beat Scotland, you get the Big Mac tattoo. We should have put another layer on it and gone, Mac, if you get man the match... What's the next level that Jim can go tattoo on his face or do you know what I mean? Just something bigger. Yeah, something bigger. And that, I thought as soon as he got man of the match, I was like, oh, why didn't we think of that as well and add that into the mix? But yeah, yeah. what a performance. He was unbelievable. And you could have picked out a few players. Josh van der Fleer obviously picking one for everything that he did. But yeah, he was, Matt Hansen was unbelievable. And Ireland, you came on the pod, you are welcome. And that's the thing with, with these players, right? There's been a change of guard, hasn't there? We've mentioned Ange Kupawatu, Mac Hansen. These lads are, let's say, they're tiny. And the influence that Mac Hansen had on that game, not just with scoring tries and offloads, the breakdown, he was phenomenal. He And, the, and again, Ireland fully deserved to win. They're the best team. I knew it was going to be tough. I backed them all the way to the point where I said I'd get a tattoo of Big Mac if Scotland won. But for me, I'm a bit disappointed, but I'm not hugely disappointed because the way that Ireland did it is one of them where it's just like, well, there you go. That's how good they are. Well, Jim, at the start, you guys were two from two. Scotland were two for two. There's big talk about the Grand Slam. Going to win the Grand Slam. Going to win the Grand Slam. Best team in a generation. This is amazing. Now two straight losses. Against the best two teams in the world, though, to be fair. Yes, there you go. You've given it a little bit of context. How are we looking at this season? Well, we need to beat Italy. And then I think it's been what we started off with and we said is a successful campaign we've not seen a complete performance because in that first half against France we went 19-0 down so yeah. there are still cracks and some chinks in the armour like the line out didn't function yesterday I thought that and I thought of you I'm like get Jim in there yeah get him coaching is it, no I don't want to coach who's the line out coach the line out coach is very good John Dial, like he's coached before does Scotland have a good line out no it's it's not the line out coach always is it it's the players when you've got Richie Gray who's 6 foot 11 in heels and you've got 
George Turner, who's thrown in, or Fraser Brown when he comes on. The lineup has been an issue this Six Nations, but they're the chinks in the armour, the discipline at kind of times. I say that, it's an obvious statement with Gilco getting red cards. <laughs> who can talk about red cards and yellow cards? But there's been chinks in the armour, and you look at the difference, and it is obvious because this Six Nations, we've got number one and two in the world, and they are number one and two, that we competed in that French game. We took it right up to the 70th minute. If we would have got that line out right, who knows what would have happened. And like you just said in the first half against Ireland, but there is a gulf. So what does success look like for Scotland? We need to beat Italy and beat Italy well, and probably without Finn and definitely without Hoggy going into that game. So that will be our evolution. Can we, like other teams, like an Ireland, like a France when they put in players, can we deliver in a game in which we're expected to win and win well. I don't know what the score permutations are about finishing second. You ain't finishing second. Why not? France playing Wales at the end of. Yeah, very true. But Wales look better. That's nothing against Scotland whatsoever. Yeah, no, I know. I know. I know what you're saying. But for me, if we go back to what we said at the beginning of the series, what does success look like for Scotland? And you said the same for England. Third spot. So if we finish third, I'm happy. Question for you then, Jim, on the game. Obviously, you mentioned then Hoggy out, Finn possibly out. Duan van der Merwe possibly out. Who knows about the others? But the main two, so let's just focus on Finn and Hoggy. Who do you pick at 10 and who do you pick at 15 if they don't play? Ben Healy at 10. He could talk to me, mate. Really? He came up, yeah, he came up to me after. And I say that, mate, it was I, hilarious. I was drinking with some of his mates, actually, in Belfast on Wednesday. You rang him from Dublin, mate. I did. <laughs> I just remembered. Steaming, That's yes. what he said. I completely forgot. He's like, mate, can I have a word? I said, yeah. He said, mate, it was Goody was ringing me. I was in a room with... I think he was with Jack Dempsey or Ben White, actually, Ben McWhite. And he said that Goody rang me from the live show. How Scottish are you? Are oh, you really Scottish? He I said he absolutely now, loved yeah. it. He loved yeah. it. So, so maybe just put him in there. I don't know. Blair Kinghorn, he'll go to 15. I think Hoggy's definitely out. I mean, he was he was FaceTiming at half 12 in the morning last night. So I presume he was out on the pesh with a boot on, which obviously means he's out because he wouldn't have done that. That's booty. That's booty scooting. I didn't answer at half 12. I was like, Hoggy, I texted him this morning. I said, you're hanging bit of kit. I am not answering the phone at half 12. I said, I am tired. But yeah, that's, I think Blair Kinghorn slots into that 15. It'd be interesting to see if Darcy Graham's back fit. Potentially, I'd like to see him get a run. But yeah, Finn's the one. Who do you bring in? Adam Hastings is not fit. Like in the autumn, he picked Blair Kinghorn ahead of him at 10, didn't he? Yeah, but I think he'll play 15 because he's been so good at 15. They might yep. catapult Ben Healy into the team. Uh, but it, interesting to see. Richie Gray, pop rib. I'd play with a pop rib. Not when you first do it, it's pretty sore. Yeah, I can see Italy winning this now. Why? How? Why are you even smiling? Mate, you had, you had 50 points point you the weekend. You're sat there smiling. I know, apologies. Yeah, okay, yeah. Remember where you're at. The only thing that cheer me, we're getting, probably going to get a pasting over in Ireland France are going to tonk Wales and the only thing that cheer me up is if Italy went and did Scotland up in Edinburgh. Not going to happen. Italy made 11 line breaks mm. against Wales. You, and when you look back at it, they should have finished a lot of those line breaks off and it would have been a whole different ball game. They looked like Italy of old in some of them line breaks as in you like, oh, how have you, how have you done that? The bounce of the ball for Rio Dyer's try, that's like Italy of old, isn't it? That was... When they made that break and Garbisi flicks the ball inside, Rootser... White line fever, second row thinks he's just give it. Yeah. And that's then 15-10. That's what Kieran Crowley had an issue with around. He, he thought they'd tackled from an offside position and it should have been a penalty try. They get, Wales go up the other end. They get the penalty try from the driving mall when Canoni collapsed the mall and got a yellow card as well. So turning points. But, mate, Italy, some of the line breaks. I know Wales are all over the shop. 
but they were. I thought Italy were great at times, and they'll be frustrated. Wales this weekend. Oh my! They could take seventy if they defended like they did in Italy against the French. So you don't think they've improved at all? Wales. Yeah. Oh, they found enough in themselves to to win the game when most people, not my good self, because I backed him on Fanzo, but most people had Italy down as favourites. And yeah, listen, they had a bit of luck. Reese Webb was outstanding. First start in the Six Nations for six years at 34 years of age, gets around the match. What about the emotion in his interview afterwards? Amazing. So big players stepped up, didn't they? The driving mall, they were definitely scoring that. It was definitely a, a penalty try. Obviously, Reese Webb makes a break for Falatau's try. Liam Williams' try. There was, you know, a lot of drop tackles there. Jumped over one, if you're an Italian fan. But they did enough to win. But they rode their luck because another day, you're 30 points down with the amount of line breaks. You know, I remember watching Tommy Allen or Tommaso Allen. He makes the break. And I'm like, it's definitely a try. And then he butchers the pass behind Varney. So many clear-cut opportunities when they're butchered stuff that could have been very different. So they started well though, Wales, didn't they? Like as in uh, what, when they, when they got out of the blocks, like they were getting off the line, they were uh, blitz defensing, uh, they were carrying with vigor uh, and aggression. So the desires there to do it. I mean, without stating the obvious again, I had Italy down to win. There's a part of me that's like fair play to Wales again, yet they've done it. But you're looking at, like you mentioned, Reese Webb gets man of the match and he's 34. Great for him. Yeah. But when you look at the profile of the Welsh team, they, I think they had an issue at 12 and 13 with Hawkins and Grady. There was line breaks in them channels. They looked like they were all over the place. The communication around that. Liam Williams goes off injured. I don't know, it looked like his shoulder potentially. But yeah, it's they're just an ageing team that they, they're reliant on Falatau and Tipperick and, yeah. like, and Ken Owens. And if not, then who? They had that big start, didn't they? And then the turning point was when Rootser doesn't give the ball on the outside for an easy try. They get turned over right on the try line. They think it should have been a penalty try. Wales got the other end five minutes later, whatever it was. Get a penalty try from the driving line out and a yellow card. And then, you you know, instead of being 15-10 down, you're 22-3 down. You're chasing the game, chasing your tail. Well, let's have a chat now with a man who is at the forefront of everything Italy are doing at the moment. Fly half, Paolo Garbisi joins us. How are you, mate? I'm very good, thank you. Happy to be here. Paolo, thank you very much for coming on. Now, I have to say something. I don't speak much Italian. I am multilingual in German and French. So let's try and do some French. Bonjour, mon ami, c'est très bien maintenant. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I can guess you French as well. <laughs> oh, that's absolutely fine, because I know that you're at Montpellier. How are you? You're back playing now, Paolo. How happy to be back in the team? Yes, of course, I'm happy to be back in the team. Uh, of course, I, I missed the first two games because of an injury. So, yeah, it, it feels good to be back. Of course, I would I would like to, to get the win on, on Saturday. But, yeah, I'm happy to be here as well. I want to talk about something positive, and that is the brand of rugby that you're playing under Kieran Crowley and the advancement of where Italy have come from and they're at now with players like yourself, Capuzzo, and, you know, all the line breaks you're making. How much fun is it playing with players outside you that are threats and that mentality of let's not just kick and chase it, let's go after this team ball in hand because it's been a significant shift for Italy, isn't it? Yeah, like I think Italy have never played this like this brand of, of rugby before and it's something different and it was a challenge for us at the beginning but then now it's, it's as you said, it's it's fun because uh, you, you see how, how you can really break defences with the system, having all the opportunities, all the players around you and having so many different options. And you can see that it actually works on the field. 
so this is why it's 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 fun sometimes yeah we, it's a bit probably too i want to say risky but like because we play for our all half mo- most of the times so yeah sometimes we can like be against us or whatever but it's funny to play in this type of system and if this brand of rugby and i think it can be very like positive for us and very useful for us so we we have to just be better a few like in terms of skill set we need to be better on on like passes or some some like options but yeah it's 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 so fun and like i think it's the right the right way yeah paolo we also need to clear something up as well Ange Kupawatsu, Ange Kapuzzo, how do we say it? Do you know how to say it? Does anyone know how to say it? And if so, what is it? Yeah, it's Ange Kapuzzo. Oh, gosh. Kapuzzo, Kapuzzo. Kapuzzo with O, no, with a O. Oh, Kapuzzo. Kapuzzo. Ange Kapuzzo. Yes, that's good. I'll ask him, like, it sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy with that. It's better than Capuzzo, so I'm happy with Capuzzo. Capuzzo, I couldn't even say it then. But he is turning into a global superstar. He's one of your teammates, and we know about the growth of the game, having superstars within the team. I know he's one man in a team, but is he a, becoming a, a kind of superstar within the Italian team? I'm hearing, when I spoke to Seb Negri, he said, the cameras are following him, all the children are following him around Rome. He's like the, what we say in the UK, the Pied Piper. Yeah, he is. He is, but like I'm happy for him because he, he deserved to be like that because he's he's been unreal for us uh since he got his first cap last six nations. So so yeah, I'm 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 really happy for him. But like I'm really happy because of the human being that, that he is. Uh because he's 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 a really special guy, very humble, even if he's very successful at the moment. Like he's he's very humble, simple guy. I hope he can he can be fit as soon as possible and especially for the World Cup because we we need those, those type of players and I can only speak positive things about him. You say he's humble. I'm hoping he's driving a Ferrari soon because <laughs> that is the mark of an Italian, right? <laughs> <laughs> it is, actually. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, another legend I want to talk to you about, the skipper, Michele Lamaro. He looks like someone that you would run through a brick wall for. Give us a, a little bit of insight on him. What's he like? He's passionate. He puts everything out there for Italy and he's leading from the front as well, isn't he? Yeah, 100%, you're right. Really, like, a very real person. He's really what you can see even from the field. Like, he's off the pitch, he's, he's, he's the same thing, like, passionate in everything he, he does. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's a real leader for us. Like, he, I think he leads us very well. And uh, it has been, I think, a tricky challenge for him at, at, at the beginning, of course, because he's very young. He's, like, 24. So, to be the captain for a Six Nations team, I think it's, that it's not very easy, but... I think he does it pretty well and we have loads of respect for him and I think he's the right captain for this let's say new chapter of Yeah, with this new chapter Paolo, you see the youngsters coming through, a very young team, young players throughout the squad. This has been building for the last few years, right? And you look at your under twenties, you look at Benetton, the players that are coming through. For the fans, and there'll be millions of Italian fans listening to this, but there's something special happening in Italy, Italian and rugby, isn't there? I hope so, but we just need to put everything together in order to get the wins. Uh, because at, at the end of the day, uh, this is what really matters. Yes, we can be pleased because we are like performing pretty well in most parts of the games, but like we need we need to get the wins now. And uh, we still are in, in that situation where people keep saying, yeah, Italy play good or they, they're there for most part of the games or they're not that far away. But honestly, I feel like we need to, to get some 
some positive results now. Uh, not only this chat about how good we play or something like that. Well, let's hope it's on Saturday against Scotland. Talk to me about the game then, because you know, obviously Scotland are playing a decent brand of rugby as well. Your battle against Finn Russell, if he's fit, will be really interesting. What are you expecting from the Scots? Because they'll be hurting after losing to Ireland in the way they did on Sunday. Yeah, surely, surely they they want to finish strong at, at their place at Marfield, and uh, we like they are a, a passionate team as well. Yeah, I think I think they have like loads of pretty good players, and of course, especially in the backs, a few exciting players, ball in hand. So I think if if we allow them to if we allow them to have like quick balls, then of course everybody knows Finn or like New Jones, Van der Merwich, Stuart Ogg. So all of those like those kind of players who could be very dangerous. So it's going to be a massive challenge. I hope we can finish the situations like we finished last year. Good stuff. Last thing I want to ask you then, Paolo. You're playing at Montpellier, a lovely place to live. Yeah. A cracking club. My partner in climb, Jim Hamilton, used to play there. Does anyone ever talk about the legend of Jim Hamilton in Montpellier or does they, do you even know he played there? <laughs> um... No. That's a no. <laughs> in Italian, <laughs> in no, French, no. no. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Nobody told me you, you played that, Jim, but like, but like last year they built like a, a list of all the international players that played that, like with all the name and last name and, and the, the flag of the country you played for. So like I saw Jim at Hamilton, I was like, oh, I, he played here. Okay, nice. So I, I, personally, personally, I knew you played there, but like no one told me about it. <laughs> Thank you, Paolo. Well, we know that you play there. You've got Richard Cockrell coming next year. He's a very calm man. He doesn't shout. He's very calm. You know that, right? I I don't have, I, like, I've never had the same feedback, though. I don't have the same feedback. <laughs> stay clear of cockers. Yeah, stay away from Richard. But, Paolo, that's brilliant. Thank you. Good luck. Say hello to Seb Negri and Kieran Crowley, friends of the show as well. Thank you. Thank you, boys. Thank you for having me. Good luck this weekend. Come on, Italy. I'm backing you. <laughs> Thank you, Paolo. Legend. Top lad. Top lad. Mate, we need to talk about your interview, though, Jim. Hello. Yes, my name is Jim. Hello, Paolo. How are you? <laughs> I love people, multilingual. Like, it's like Sergio. So he can speak, I imagine, French, because he's playing at Montpellier as 10. Italian. He can yeah. probably speak Spanish like Sergio. English. And Speaks English. very well. Obviously, he spoke very well there. Yeah. So. Lovely bloke. Yeah, great to have him on. Bit of an Italian flavour. Like Come on, Italy. Come on, Italy. I can see it happening. I can see it happening. There's, I'll tell you now, there's not a chance. All the bravado around Scotland. load of injuries. And then Paolo and his mates rock up. Come on, Italy. It'd be great, that, wouldn't it? Kieran Crowley had some big things to say about the officiating. What were your thoughts? Are you asking GMO? Goody match official? Go on, then. He had some points. He, he really did. I don't necessarily agree with... I've watched it back a few times, but I get it. The frustration there. And there were some calls that went against them. You know, I like Kieran Crowley. Ever since he came on the podcast, not that I didn't like him before, he came on the podcast, Italy have improved no end. I love the other week he comes out and he's like, oh, I'm bored by this box-kicking game. And he's just open about how he wants to coach a team, how he wants his team to play. And then I liked liked his passion because we've all been there. When you do an interview, whether you're a player or a coach and you want to say something, but you know you can't because you're getting in trouble for it. And he said in his interview, he said, oh, I'm getting fed up of, you know, going through the right channels making my points about refereeing decisions of wrong going against us, and then all I get is a sorry. You know, I've had enough of it. And he said it in his interview, and no doubt someone will try and wrap him on the knuckles for it, but he's passionate. 
he's right to a certain extent about certain things and he wants to air it. He needs to make noise. If you don't make noise, then nothing will change. Yeah. And I'm not for saying everyone should jump on the refs back now, but refs like players. We're sat here, you analyse players' performances. You have to be able to analyse a referee's performance. And if that is part of the coach's remit in an interview afterwards, if you feel so hard done by, then let it be. You can't just completely protect referees and say you can't even talk about them because they have such a big impact on the game and he feels certain things went against his team and why shouldn't he air it? I loved Bakelli Lamaro as captain. You've got to think young man, 23, might be 24 now, but he's challenging. And you listen to him on the ref mic, like even that one where he was talking about Brex and I think it's Owen Williams takes one of the players off the ball and he's saying, it's. Like, I'm thinking, what's offside? I couldn't even work out myself where he's trying to talk about the offside. He said a ruck's formed and therefore there's an offside line. But-, but he's seeing that in real time. And obviously, as players, you do. But they're the small intricacies. Or when Liam William goes up for the, the high ball and he's like, he, he couldn't get the ball. He was nowhere near the ball. And the ref's like, he knocked it on. He didn't knock it on, Liam Williams, at all. Like, it was, he was right to challenge him. So you have to make a bit of noise because I go back to that England game. There was a couple of decisions in that game. The sim bin in a penalty try. The scrum that led up to that. They're massive decisions that need to be called out because Italian rugby, we're reliant on it. Not this weekend, though. Not this weekend, though. Interesting, Jim. Clever from Kieran Crowley because Angus Gardner is the referee this weekend. He might just put a bit of pressure on him and things might go against the Scots. Come on, Italy. I can feel it. I can feel it building throughout the week. I wish you didn't do that. I wish you didn't mention the refs. <laughs> well, let's get your Fanzo pint predictions in. Let's start with Scotland v Italy. <laughs> I'll start with this one. I'm going to back Italy. <laughs> I need something because I know we get we got hosed. We're getting hosed again. I need something to cheer me up. So I'm going to go Italy by three. Well, this is three and not 33. I'm going to go Scotland by 12. Be tighter than we think. Six-day turnaround. Ridiculous. France-Wales. Oh, genuine now. If France play anywhere near how they played against England and Wales defend anywhere near how they defended against Italy with the line breaks that Italy made. That could be 70. I just hope it's more than England lost by. I'm going to go France by 36. Yeah, I was going to say around that. I'll be nicer because I feel like I keep bagging Wales. So I'm going to be nicer. I'm going to go France by seven. Uh, No, I'm not. I'm going to go (laughs) France by 23. The final game of the tournament, Ireland v England. Paddy's weekend for the Grand Slam. Before the World Cup, Andrew. Donny Sexton's last ever home game in the Six Nations, where he's also going to break the point scoring record. The emotion. With his first kick. England, not confident. Shells of their former self. They're like turtles with no shells. Like, they are vulnerable. Manu's back. Yeah. I've got nothing. Ireland by 20. Well, that's horrible to say. That's good. Why are you putting your, why are you putting your hand in your head? That's a good, that's a good result. <laughs> Is that a win? Is Ireland by 20 a win after the week? I say <laughs> anything under 30 points, then you've had a successful game. Ireland by 20, yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'm going to say Ireland by, oh, I don't know, I just think England, surely there's going to be a bounce back. Ireland by 15. Right then, well, let's finish things off with the good, the bad and the ugly. Yes, let's. And we're going to start off in the Gallagher Premiership because there were many league games this weekend. And Bristol's, James, they're getting a mention of the good. Now four wins on the spin after you said there's no chance they're making the top four. Yeah. Do you stick to that, James? No, I'm not, because I said the same about London Irish, so no. <laughs> uh, yeah, Bristol's four wins on the spin and scored over 100 points 
in their last two games, scoring tries for fun, put 50 uh, on Harlequins. All of a sudden, they are looking like playoff contenders, Jim. So they get a shout out. Sticking with another team that Jim has said no chance. Uh, London Irish, massive win at home against a very, very strong sale team. They put them right in the mix of the top four. And what I am going to say, if you get chance, you need to watch the highlights of this game because there's one massive turning point in the game and it's Rory Jennings smashing Cobus Visa. Massive turning point. I think London Irish are winning by about five points, maybe four points, maybe six points. They get to an edge sale. Cobus Visa could dot the ball down. Have a look at Rory Jennings and his work rate and absolutely buries Cobus Visa into touch while he's pretty much over the line. And that was a, a point where Sale score that, they probably go ahead. London Irish stopped that try effectively by some proper graft and a massive hit. Small man belting a big man, knocking him into touch. And then they go on and score two tries to get the bonus point as well. So massive shout out to London Irish. Uh, sticking in the Prem, Leicester Tigers get mentioned the good. A huge win down at Gloucester with so much on the line for both teams with the Slater Cup and also a massive shout out to all the ex-Gloucester and Tigers players who competed for 12 hours in a fitness challenge raising money for Red as well. Started at midnight, half 12, whatever time it was and put in a load of metres, over a million metres or some ridiculous thing. Dino, even he was on the bike, fueled by cider, I think. So massive shout out to everyone that took part in that, raising money for Fort Ed. What else? Andy Rowe. What's happened? How are you? Little one for Andy Rowe here, Jim. The Crusaders do not get a mention in the good, but the Fijian Drua do yeah. because they trounced the Crusaders. They spanked you. Producer Rob got up in the morning, three o'clock in the morning to watch that yeah. and texted me first thing in the morning, woke me up to let me know what the score was. There you go, and you're devastated. So yeah, massive shout out to the Fijian Drua who beat the Crusaders in Fiji. What a thing that's done for Super Rugby in Fiji. Brilliant, brilliant atmosphere. Yeah, the crowd was amazing. Yeah. So massive shout out to the Fijian Drua boys. Love Fijian. Rugby. I mean, we could do a whole podcast on Fijian rugby. And that Drura, Mark Evans, big shout out to him because he's involved in that as well. And they get that right. Good luck to anyone playing them. Imagine playing them. Oh, goodness, yeah. mate. There we go. Massive victory. Um, on to the Six Nations then. We're going to start off with Reese Webb. And we'll give Wales a little bit of a shout out because they won under pressure. But Reese Webb mainly. First Wales start in six years. Got man of the match at 34 years of age. So big shout out to him. Stuart Hogg gets a mention in the good this week. 100 caps. Hell of an achievement for Hoggy. AKA Mickey Rourke, you call him, Jim, don't you? Of rugby, not specifically Mickey Rourke, the Mickey Rourke of rugby. Okay, yeah, Mickey Rourke of rugby. I noticed he's only had his top tags done, he hasn't had his bottom tags. I always find that interesting. People that go and get their tags done, turkey teeth, they only do the top layer, they don't do the bottom ones. So they've got massive ones on top and then really small ones underneath. It just weirds me out, to be honest. His dentist was all over me at the weekend and said he can sort out the B4s. So There we go. You in? Well, I did, well no, because I saw Hoggy's bottom one, so I ain't... <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of double whammy. Anyway, shout out for Hoggy for his 100th cap. Ireland get a shout out in the good this week and specifically our mate Big Mac, Mac Hansen. They dominated Scotland in the second half. They were under all sorts of pressure in terms of players playing out in position as we've spoken about, but they're so comfy in their own skin. It's like, does it matter that Keane Ealy's scrummaging at hooker with a neck that he's just come back from? Does it matter that Josh van der Fleer is throwing in the line out, doing two-step lobs, doing all the goods in the line out? They were outstanding. So a massive shout out to Ireland. They get a mention of the good, but the good this week, unfortunately, goes to the French. Why unfortunately? Well, they inflicted England's biggest ever defeat at Twickenham in the Six Nations. So but That's fortunate for most people, though. So the most people listen to this. Most people that listen to this podcast are English. But anyway, to everyone else that's not English, 
well done. But France get the good this week. 53-10, spanking of England at Twickenham. They were mesmeric at times. Nine line breaks, 12 visits to England's 22. Seven tries. Dupont, ridiculous. Flamont, who was playing Loughborough sixth team a few years back. At fly half. At fly half. Ridiculous. He's put some tin on as well. It looks a hell of a player now. Basically because he played at Wasps, so... My old club, you're welcome. They get mentioned the good because of they that. They didn't think he was good enough. They didn't see yeah. anything in him, so they got rid of him. <laughs> anyway, let's go back to the French. Mesmeric, outstanding. Whatever superlative you want, you can stick it on them because they were brilliant at the weekend and fully deserved to pull England's pants down. So France, get the good. Uh, the bad. A few bits of bad. Quinns taking 50 uh, at Bristol. Mm-hmm. They look like they're out the top four race now, potentially. Uh, I know they've got the big game coming up against Saracens, which will be billed as the Owen Farrell versus Marcus Smith. Heads up match. So Quinn's looking like they're going to struggle to make the top four, taking 50 at Bristol. England under 20s get a mention in the bad this week. They got spanked 42 points to seven by France as well. French youngsters are ridiculous, as good as their senior counterparts. So well done to them. Scotland under 20s have to get a mention in the bad. If England were bad, my God, Scotland. What's going on there, Jim? 82 points to seven. God. I know you love your ruggers. You definitely watched it. Is there an issue up there in Scotland? Is, is there no Clearly. Sort of player pool coming through or yeah. it's just Ireland a ridiculous outfit? Both, both that. So I had a couple of mates who went to it and they said, and I spoke to Jim Mallander, who's doing a lot of this stuff for Scotland now, and he just said men against boys in terms of athleticism, size, power, everything, you, you know, the obvious stuff that you could imagine. I mean that, and this is the thing, right? This is transferable. Everything that you look at the under 20s, obviously is going to be transferable over the next few years. Like, that is the next generation of talent coming through. Ireland are ridiculous. I know. Ireland, ridiculous. So, they are just getting better week on week. Like, literally week on week, year on year. If it's a size issue, just get the deep-fried Mars bars, Daniel. I spoke to JJ. I said, mate, you've got an opportunity here. You could be the next <laughs> DuPont at seven foot two with heels. I said, you're going in, mate. <laughs> the Scottish DuPont. There we go. But the bad this week, obviously, goes to England. Absolutely embarrassing at Twickenham. 50-odd points taken England's biggest defeat at Twickers the Red Trouser Brigade they weren't happy they were walking out just after half time back into the car parks to open up the Range Rovers and just drink wine from the car park it was a horrific day at Twickenham England team need to hang their heads in shame but find some sort of answer this week because I ain't ever seen anything like it in an international jersey I mean I was shit and I played in some bang average England teams but my god is this the worst defeat ever? no it is at Twickenham Australia beat us 76-0 a few years ago. I saw that scoreline in 98 or something. Yeah, 98, you guys something sent like your that. C team down to New yeah, Zealand. Yeah, but Australia. there were some players in that that ended up winning the World Cup, so we're going to win the World Cup in uh, October. <laughs> Said no one ever. And then the ugly, a few bits of ugly. We're going to start with Mike McKee and his no-arms tackle and head clash on Falau Fayangara in Moana Pacifica's defeat to the Western Force. And in the same game, Siosifa Amone had a red card for a high shot which gets the ugly this week. So Mike McKee and Sio Sifa Amone, lower your tackle height, boys. Use your arms. Let's follow the laws of the game. Thanks, Goody. And you guys got some shout-outs to finish off with, don't you? We have. First one is one that's close to my heart, Goody. Do you remember James Black? Do you remember Blackie at Leicester? Yeah, Blackie from Leicester. Yeah, I shouldn't be doing this shout-out because he put a dog shit in my sandwich. And you ate it? At Deeks' house. Well, I nearly ate it and then Deeks... No, you did because scraped. I can still smell it on your breath now. Actually, he did, so I shouldn't be doing this shout-out. But it is one that is very close to his heart, uh, very personal to him. So, big shout-out to you, Blackie. He's doing the London Marathon, which a lot of people do. But it's in aid of 
Tuberous Sclerosis Association in April, and it's for Noah's charity, and it's to raise money for that. And I know it's something that's very close to Blackie's heart. So if you want to check that out, you go onto the London Marathon page, TCS London Marathon, and you type in James Black. Donations would be greatly appreciated. Yeah, massive shout out to Blackie, and also a huge shout out to Ricky Anderson and the old Northamptonians under-16 girls team who just won the Midlands Regional Championships on the 5th of March after a fiercely contested 29-17 win over Market Harborough. So well done to the girls. Well done, girls. We've got another big one, and it's Hoik RFC. Stuart Hogg and Darcy Graham's former club. They won the Premiership final on Saturday for the first time in 21 years. They went the whole season unbeaten. And they scored the last play of the game to win it. So imagine how loose they got. But also to Matty Douglas, who was the youngest head coach to win the Premiership. So up the Hoyt boys, the green and hoops. I don't know what they're called, but they, they wear green or it's green yard. Something to do with green anyway. Green on you. That's what we'll say. Yeah, well done, the Hoyt boys. And finally, a big shout out to Tobias Davis and Saffron Walden Rugby Club, who have won the county's one league with three games to spare. They've got two more games and have a chance of finishing the season unbeaten. So if you haven't drank yourselves stupid after winning the league, then hopefully you win your last two and you go unbeaten as well all year, boys. Get up, you saffron. Thanks, Goody. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Patricia Robin. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube and make sure you're subscribed on Spotify. Rugby spot. Spotty pod, 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 pod. Uh-huh.